Our sermon this morning comes from Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Hear now the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let us pray together. So now you have once again brought us together, Father. You have gathered your people, your church, your redeemed here in this place because we love you and we want to hear from you. And so we pray as we do every Sunday, every Lord's Day, will you come and serve us now? Will you come and reveal yourself to us? Show us your glory, your majesty, your splendor, your love for us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. George Mueller was a man who lived in the 19th century in England. And Mueller, there in England, founded an orphanage. And then he found another. And then he found another. And then he found another. In fact, all told, we know that George Mueller and his orphanages cared for over thousands of orphans there in England. What's remarkable about Mueller's contribution is that he never made known any of his financial needs. Though caring at one time for thousands of children, he never even gave a hint of what some of her needs, his needs were. He, he never told anyone, except God, that is. See, Mueller believed God provides. That God would indeed answer his prayers. In fact, this man is known for us today, some 150 years later, not simply because he cared for orphans, but because of his devotion to prayer. That Mueller, our brother, would get on his knees every day and call out to God to provide for these thousands of children that had been entrusted to him by, by what he considered to be entrusted by God himself. And he said and asked God to provide for the specific needs that these children had. In fact, Mueller was very detailed. He not only kept a catalog of all the prayers he prayed, but he actually cataloged all the answers to those prayers. He believed God would answer. God would provide. Although God did not always provide in advance. One of my favorite stories in Mueller's autobiography happened in 1842 when he recognized that they had run out of food and they had no money. And so before Mueller went to bed, he spoke to his father and said to him, God, if you do not provide food in time for breakfast, you will dishonor your own name. And then he went to bed. He woke up the next morning and there was no food in the orphanage. He ordered the tables to be set. He gathered the orphans around the tables before their empty dishes and their dry cups, and he prayed this prayer. Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. At that, a knock was on the door. It was the baker. 
The baker said to him, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast. And the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 o'clock and baked some fresh bread. Mueller thanked the baker and praised God, saying, Children, we not only have bread, but the rare treat of fresh bread. Almost after giving praise to God, another knock came upon the door. This time it was the milkman. You see, his milk cart had broken down outside the orphanage and that he would like to give all the children his milk in order that he could empty his wagon and repair it. At which, once again, Mueller praised the Lord. I don't know if the moral is not to, to, to be walking by the orphanage when, you, when they have great needs, but here God provided for them. As Mueller thought he would provide through prayer, he was a giant in prayer. And, and of course, we could go on and share testimonies of other giants in prayer. Perhaps my favorite is Charles Spurgeon, who one day, the, uh, the, his biographer tells us that five college students were spending a Sunday in London, and they went to hear the famed Charles Spurgeon preach. Well, while they waited for the doors to open, they were greeted by a man who said to them, Gentlemen, would you like to see the heating plant of this church? Well, they were not particularly interested in seeing the heating plant, for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they agreed to go. Well, the young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened, and their guide whispered to them, This is our heating plant. They were surprised to see over 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking God's blessing on the service in the auditorium above that would begin shortly. He softly closed the door, and the gentleman introduced himself as Charles Spurgeon. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, would often fall before a map of China and say, God, give me China or I die. Martin Luther, another great man of prayer, once famously said he was so overwhelmed with the business of his day that he had to pray twice as long. How do you pray? Do you pray like these men? Would this characterize your ministry, your labors of prayer? Does this explain how you go about it? I think perhaps some of you are like me and feel great weakness in prayer. Of course, there are many questions that surround prayer that I still don't know the answer to. Some ask, how should I pray? Should I pray with confidence, claiming things by faith? Or should I pray tentatively, adding at the end of my prayer, if your will, if it be your will? Some wonder what happens if they pray wrongly. Can prayer do harm? Does prayer get God to change his mind? And if it does not, why do we even uh, consent to pray? Many people have many questions about prayer, but I think perhaps the biggest problem in, in prayer, in our ministry of prayer, is that we simply neglect that ministry. That we do not do it. How many times have there been events in your life when they've already been resolved? You could look back at your life and say, oh, I should have prayed about that. I should have prayed about that relationship or school or work or, or my finances. Or how many times has someone come up to you and say, well, will you pray for me? And then a week later or a month later, they come to you and after the, the events resolved and they say, thank you for praying for me. When you know full well that you never uttered a word of prayer for them, you're thinking, oh God, I hope someone prayed for them because I certainly did not. I forgot. I heard of one pastor who had a praying woman in his church. In fact, he asked her son after church service one Sunday morning, does your mother pray for with you every night? The boy said, yes, sir. 
And what does she say? The boy replied, thank God he's asleep. (laughs) We struggle in prayer. Paul Miller estimates from his surveys at prayer seminars that 90% of Christians do not have any meaningful daily prayer. This does not surprise God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for. There is weakness in prayer. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. Specifically, He sends the Holy Spirit into our life to to not certainly motivate our prayers, but to actually pray for us as we see the new help in which God gives us, this Spirit in our life, interceding to the Father on our behalf. Now, if you've been paying attention at all in our study of Romans chapter 8, we've seen the Spirit's ministry in our life over and over again. In verse 2, we saw that the Spirit liberates us from the overwhelming pull of sin. In verse 5, we saw the Spirit changes our mind and desires. In verse 6, it says the Spirit gives you life and peace. In verse 7, the Spirit enables you to obey God. In verse 8, the Spirit enables you to please God. And in verse 9, the Spirit makes you belong to Jesus. In verse 10, the Spirit gives life to your spirit. In verse 11, the Spirit will be used by God to raise your body from the dead. In verses 12 and 13, the Spirit enables you to put to death the deeds of the body. In verse 14, the Spirit leads you. In verse 15, the Spirit has adopted you, enabling you to cry, Abba, Father. In verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Over and over and over again, Paul returns to the Spirit to point out the ministry of the third person of the triune God who dwells in you this very moment. In fact, he gets to verse 23, a text that Pastor John preached for us, and he says, astonishingly, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We just have the first taste of the Spirit's ministry in our life. There is a guarantee of a much greater harvest. We do not have a harvest of the Spirit's ministry for us yet. We simply have the foretaste of that ministry. What will His ministry be in us for all eternity? I do not know, but I, friends, tell you it shall be much, much greater if it is even imaginable than His ministry for you today. And Paul gathers here in verse 26 and says, By the way, the Spirit does something else for you. He prays for you when you are weak. He intercedes for you. He speaks to the Father on your behalf. And so I would like to consider the Holy Spirit's ministry of prayer for you. My goal for you, Christian, this morning is that you would fall more in love with the Holy Spirit. That you would see, based upon God's scripture, of his great love for you, his desire for you, his longing, his ambition for you, his ministry on your behalf, you would become more aware of his great love, and in response, you would love him more. That you would walk from this place more in love with the third person of God, and forever that love shall grow. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian... My hope for you is that God would awaken you to the truth that the blessings in which we are about to consider can be yours if you will place your faith in Christ. If you will bow your knee to Jesus, your maker, and give him your heart's love. We see here two points in this text, two simple points. Number one, our weakness in prayer. And number two, the Spirit's help in prayer. Our weakness in prayer is laid out for us here in verse 26 when it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He says, you are weak. You notice how verse 26 says, you have weakness, you need help. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. Of course, it raises the question, doesn't it? In what way am I weak? What is he talking about, my weakness? Well, notice the first word in verse 26. Likewise, he says. In other words, he's connecting what he's about to say here in verse 26 with what he just taught us in the previous verses. What he taught us, as we saw last week, is that we live in a world of weakness. We live in a world of corruption and futility and frustration and decay and pain. In fact, note verse 23. It says that not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so the Bible tells us that you and I, while we wait for our bodies to be redeemed, are living in a place of groaning, of longing. Verse 18 says, here we suffer. In verse 20, we're told that creation is subjected to futility. In verse 21, we see it's in bondage to decay. In verse 22, we see that there's pain here in this world. There's hardship. There's weakness here as we live. You understand this. You experience this. In fact, in verse 10 of Romans chapter 8, Scripture tells us your body is as good as dead. Though verse 11 says the Holy Spirit will be used by God to raise your bodies, now we groan. And so in light of all these weaknesses, Paul wants us to have hope. And this was the the point of the text that Pastor John preached for us last Sunday, that in light of all the weaknesses in this world, we ought to hope. You know, verse 24, it says, For in this hope we were saved. And so, yes, you live in a place of suffering and trial and trouble and distress and anguish, but you ought to have hope that one day the Redeemer will come and He will redeem all of creation. And then he gets to verse 26 and he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, not only are we helped in the midst of the weakness of this world by thinking about the the Redeemer to come to redeem all creation, but we're also helped here and now by the Spirit who works in our lives. We have two hopes. Two helps. The, the, The help of a hope to come, but we have the help of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our troubles and our trials and our difficulties as we wait for redemption. Of course, you may ask, okay, I I understand we live in weakness, but why does that mean I, I need help? Well, read on in verse 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. See, in the midst of this weakness, in the midst of our troubles and trials, we're unsure how to pray. We don't know what's best. We don't know what God's will is. You know, sometimes when someone gets sick, God's will is to heal them. Sometimes it's God's will for them to die. Sometimes when someone is persecuted, it's God's will to to relieve that persecution. Sometimes it's God's will to give them strength to endure that suffering. And so the question is, should I pray for healing and deliverance or should I pray for strength and courage? You know, in in these times of weaknesses, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for as we ought because, friends, we really don't know what we need quite often. If I were to ask you, what is it you think you need? You probably would tell me, I I need health and I I need um, my debt paid off and I need a happy marriage and I I need, uh, let's see, a good, satisfying job and a working car. And these are the things that we say that we need. But rarely will we say, you know what I need is I need to grow in my courage. I need some more joy in my life. I need to have stronger faith. 
Right? When people bring a prayer request to you in the midst of weakness and they say, Sally has cancer, will you please pray for her joy? No. We don't say that. Quite often we say, will you pray to heal her? Or Frank lost his job, will you please pray that his faith will be strengthened in God and he would give him victory over any idols that might be in his life? No, we say, will you please help him to find a job? And friends, I'm not sure if we know what to pray for at times. In fact, the Bible tells me specifically I don't. For we do not know what to pray for, he says, as we ought to pray. We're not sure what to pray for in these situations. I think this is going to be increasingly relevant in our culture as it continues to go away from uh, any Christian standard, as it becomes increasingly more difficult to be a Christian. I think we're going to have decision. Do I speak out here or do I hold my tongue? Right? Do, do I go to jail or do I go home and be with my family? Do I take a stand or do I let this one slide? I have this struggle when I pray for the persecuted church. Should we, should we ask that God would help them be bold and, and face the consequences? Or should we ask God to help them stay hidden from the persecution? Should, should we ask that they may escape from their suffering or that they may endure their suffering or that they may have courage to suffer and to die well? It says here in verse 26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. In fact, I appreciate what Paul says here. You see that little pronoun he uses? We. Not you. We. Paul includes himself in this group. Likewise, the Spirit helps us, he says, in our weakness. You know, Paul didn't always know what to pray for. There's a time he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he has a thorn in his flesh. Most commentators think it's a physical affliction. And Paul, like us, has this suffering. And what does he do? He prays for healing. Three times he said, I pray for the Lord to remove this thorn in my flesh. And finally God shows up and says, Paul, you don't know what I'm trying to accomplish in your life. You're praying for the wrong thing, he says. In fact, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to keep you weak, Paul, he says. I'm not going to alleviate your suffering. I'm going to keep it in your life. Another time Paul was in prison, there in Rome, later in his life. He didn't know what to pray for. He had two choices. He thought, I could either die and go home and be with Jesus, or I could live and continue in ministry. And Paul struggled as to what he ought to do. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1, he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He didn't know what to pray for as he ought. We're confused at times. In God's great love and tenderness, he does not condemn us for our ignorance or our weakness. Rather, he sends the Spirit into our lives to pray for us when we do not know how to pray. He doesn't do this because you're strong or courageous or important. He does this because you're weak and brittle and confused. And he loves you. And so I want you to not only consider our weakness in prayer, but secondly, and perhaps more importantly, the Spirit's help in prayer. You see that here in verse 26. Once again, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
So you say, okay, I understand I'm weak. How does the Spirit come and help me? Well, the Bible tells us that He helps you and I by praying for you. Now, I want to be very clear here. The Bible's not saying that the Spirit helps you to pray. It's not saying that He enables your prayers or motivates your prayers or guides your prayers or directs your prayers. Though I believe He does that. That's not what this text is telling us. This text tells us you don't know what to pray for, but do not lose heart because the Spirit who lives in you is praying for you. Two times he says he intercedes for us. Verse 26, he intercedes for us. Verse 27, he intercedes for the saints. Do you realize this, brother and sister in Christ, the Spirit who dwells you this very moment is perhaps talking to the Father about you. He who knows your needs, knows God's will, is interceding for us. In fact, I especially like this word help here in verse 26. It's obviously a common English word, but the Greek word that's used to translate it is very rare. It, it literally it means uh, the idea of someone carrying a heavy load and someone comes along the, the other side and, and picks up the other end. The only other place that this word is used in the New Testament is when Mary and Martha are ministering about Jesus. And while Mary, as you know, is sitting at Jesus' feet, while Martha is slaving away in the kitchen. And she becomes somewhat frustrated, doesn't she? And somewhat anxious about not her work, but the fact that she's doing it alone. And so in Luke chapter 10, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left to serve me alone? Tell her to help me. Right? Tell my sister to help carry this burden with me. Well, the Bible here tells us the Holy Spirit helps carry your burden. He comes under your burden with you and he helps to lift it up. He doesn't stand far off and give you good advice. He doesn't try to coach you through your weakness. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. You ought to lift with your legs and not with your back. right? He doesn't stand off and give us advice, but he actually comes and he gets under that burden with us and puts his shoulder to it and helps us to lift it. When you and I are weak, when we are suffering, when we are under distress... When the burdens of our life become so heavy that we don't know if we can lift them any longer, the Holy Spirit helps us under this burden. He comes and lifts it. He doesn't do everything, of course. And that's what this word implies. It's not that He starts praying so we stop. No, He comes and helps us. And we keep praying and we keep obeying and we keep believing. But He comes under that burden and He says, let me grab that other end. Let me help you by lifting your burden up to the throne of our, my Father, if your Father. I know what you need, even if you don't. Some of you may be here this morning in the midst of some of this weakness. Maybe there's suffering in your life, some challenge, some failed dream, some situation you don't know how it's going to figure itself out. You don't know how to pray. You don't know what to pray for. You don't even know when. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. He helps you. In fact, I love this, this passage, intercedes. He pleads our case. He shoulders our burden by, by pleading our case before God himself. Jesus showed us a bit of what this ministry is like when he uh, told Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Peter was weak. 
He, he was exhausted. He, he felt the pressure and the stress. He, he felt uh, uh, all the pressure upon him to deny the Lord. He was weak in every way. And Jesus says, don't lose heart, Peter. I know you're weak. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And that you may strengthen your brothers. And Peter's faith did not fail because of the faithful intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he spent decades of ministering to the church because of this work that Christ has done for him. Jesus interceded for him. And Jesus' prayers were answered. In fact, you know something that that Jesus continues to pray for you. It's just not the Holy Spirit who's interceding for you, but Christ himself. Look in verse 34 of Romans chapter 8. We'll get here in a couple weeks, God willing. But just note... The Bible says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You have two intercessors. You have the Spirit of God in your heart interceding for you, and you have the Son of God in heaven interceding for you. How greatly loved are you, Christian? How greatly loved and cared for are you that both the second and the third person of God pray to the first person of God on your behalf. Perhaps Christ is praying for you right now. Perhaps he's amening the Holy Spirit's prayers that are going to the throne of God this very moment that you are covered in prayer. If I told you, friends, that Jesus is in the next room and he is on his knees praying for you, that Christ himself, is interceding to the Father on your behalf. I wonder if that would change you. I wonder if that would fill you with hope. I wonder if that would give you strength or joy or perhaps sorrow for your sin or courage to face the obstacles in front of you. The Son of God is praying for you alongside the Holy Spirit who indwells you. He is praying for you. In fact, you notice verse 26, he's emphatic here. The Spirit himself intercedes for you. He wants to make you understand that it is the Spirit Himself. He could ask angels to pray for you. He could be content with your prayers. He could be content with the prayers of our brothers and sisters on our behalf. But the Spirit Himself loves you to such a degree that He will not leave you alone, that He is going to pray for you. Whatever battle you will ever face, you will not face it by yourself. Whatever weakness you encounter, you shall not endure in isolation. The Holy Spirit of God is interceding for you. In fact, you notice this phrase here when it says here in verse 26, he intercedes for us. That for us is not in the Greek. It's just, it's implied. It's a good translation, but it's not there. I I wonder if you could just for a moment insert your name there. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for Stephen. Holy Spirit himself intercedes for you. I wonder what troubles you, what keeps you awake at night, what help you need. Oh, friends, know that the Holy Spirit who lives inside your heart is praying for you. He is interceding for you. In fact, Paul tells us how he prays. Notice three things, uh, three ways in which the Holy Spirit prays, if you will. We see, first of all, that he prays passionately. Verse 26, it says that he groans, uh, that he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, there's a lot of debate as to uh, who's doing the groaning here. A lot of people really struggle with the idea that the Spirit of God groans. Right? It just seems disrespectful to say that about God. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the Godhead does not groan. It is inconceivable for every reason. Right? And so many suggest it's the Christian that's doing the groaning here. 
that we're groaning and we're sighing under our weakness. But friends, I'm just going to read the text to you one more time. It says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings. It seems like the Spirit is groaning. In fact, you note verse 22, by the way, the text that John preached for us last week, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning, right? The creation groans. And note verse 23, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, do what? We groan inwardly. So creation groans, verse 22. The Christian groans, verse 23. And, and what we saw last week is this just, this is simply the deep desires and longings we have in the midst of the hardship in which we face. And now over here in verse 26, I believe it says the Spirit is groaning. He has deep desires for you. Just like you have deep desires in your weakness. He prays passionately for you. He groans for you. There, He's not distant. He's not far off. He feels the weight of this burden that sits upon you. And he wants to help you to carry it farther. In fact, when someone comes along and helps you to carry a burden, don't you want them to groan a little bit with you? Right? You want them to feel that way? I appreciate what James Boyce the famous Presbyterian pastor said, suppose you are helping someone carry a very heavy load. What is more expressive? A groan as you stagger along beneath it or a great deal of articulate chatter? Suppose your helper is saying, my, this piano is heavy. They certainly do make pianos heavy and awkward too. Probably we should have spent some money and gone ahead and hired professional piano movers. I don't think I want to do this very often. Have you ever moved a piano before? If you are struggling with the heavy load too, that is probably the last thing you want to hear. If someone is chattering away like that, you probably would just want to tell this so-called helper to shut up and lift the piano. <laughs> a real burden bearer groans with you. I think the Holy Spirit is groaning with us. I, of course, this is a metaphor. He groans with word, uh, too deep for words. It means he doesn't express. It's not an express groan. But the picture is, is that he feels the weight. He understands the burden. And he prays passionately for you. Do you therefore not love the Holy Spirit? Who is not far away, but within you, praying for you passionately. You see, he also prays for us personally. Uh, that is, a, he prays for us intimately, perhaps a better way to put it. Verse 27 says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I struggle with trying to understand this first part of verse 27. It seems what it's saying to me is that the Father searches our hearts and at the same time, He knows the mind of the Spirit, right? Because you look at the pronoun and He, you now who's the He who searches hearts? So someone searches hearts, that same person knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So I don't think it could be the Spirit who searches the hearts. It's, it must be the Father who searches our hearts. So I think what he's saying is our Father knows our heart's longings. He knows our size. He knows our desire for His will. He knows our longings to follow after Christ. And that Father also knows the Spirit's uh, mind. He knows the Spirit's intention for us. That as while we live in weakness that we want to live for Christ. I, I think the point, in other words, is that God understands everything perfectly and that the spirit is able to communicate to the father your deep hopes and your dreams and your fears so that when we are in distress when we are in danger we're not simply being watched from a distance we're being understood he, he knows you intimately he doesn't it's not the prayer of some distant observer like i might pray for you you ask me to pray for you i'm going to pray for you 
right? We'll generally just pray right then and there. And, but, but I don't feel that way. I don't know it intimately. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I, don't, I can't search your heart. But God can. And the Spirit understands what's going on in your heart. And, and God knows the mind of the Spirit. And so what you need is being perfectly communicated to the Father. What an incredible ministry that God has for us. Do you therefore not love the Holy Spirit who prays for you personally, intimately? Oh, He not only prays passionately and He not only prays personally, but lastly consider that He prays perfectly. End of verse 27 we read, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. That's 1 John 5.14. If you know God's will, and you pray according to God's will, you know that whatever you ask for, He will give it to you. The problem is, we don't often know God's will. Right? We don't know what His will is. I and mean, that's the whole point. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. Martin Luther once thought he knew God's will. His good friend and his assistant, Frederick Maconius, was sick and was expected to die in, in a short time. And so Maconius, on his deathbed, he wrote a loving farewell to Luther. But when Luther received that letter, he sat down instantly and wrote a reply to his friend Maconius. He said to him, I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee in reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying. This is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now that kind of prayer is somewhat shocking, isn't it? Um, that he had such confidence that what he was praying was God's will. By the way, his confident prayer was answered when Maconius received Luther's letter. He was so sick that he had lost his ability to speak. Everybody thought it was permanent and that he would soon die. He read his letter and soon was healed, I trust, by God and lived for six more years, surviving Luther by two months. See, if you pray according to God's will, you will get what you ask for. But as we establish, we often don't know God's will. We don't know what to pray for. But what, let's just imagine for a moment, what if we could get someone who knows God's will perfectly to pray for you? He knows, and he will pray for you. I know such a one. Verse 27 tells us the Spirit intercedes for the saints. What? According to the will of God. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so when we fail to know God's will, He knows His will perfectly. And He prays perfectly according to the will of God. In other words, your ignorance of God's will is no hindrance to God for working out His plan for you. For the Spirit is praying for you in accordance with what God's will is. Now, I could tell you generally what God's will is for you. The very next verse tells us. And you, of course, know this verse in verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And so God's will for you is your good. 
In fact, verse 29, he elaborates, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. His will for you is that you be conformed to the image of Jesus. Even further, verse 30 tells us, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so God's will is that none will be lost, that whoever's been call- predestined will be called, and those called will be, will be justified, and those who are justified will be glorified. That's His will, that all of His will be glorified. And so we understand the end, but friends, you and I don't know how to get there. We don't know the steps along the way for my good. We don't know the path that's going to take me into the conformity of the image of Christ. That's what God wants for you. That's what I trust you want for yourself, to become like Jesus. But you don't know how to get there. But there is one who does. The Spirit of God who prays for you according to the will of God. No wonder all things work together for our good. The indwelling Holy Spirit is praying for you perfectly according to the will of God. No wonder that those who are foreknown will one day be conformed to the image of His Son. For the indwelling Holy Spirit is praying perfectly for you according to the will of God. No wonder those who are predestined will be called and those called will be justified and those justified will be glorified. For the indwelling Holy Spirit is praying perfectly for you. Friends, no wonder you can have hope. No wonder you can have joy. No wonder you can have courage that you will never walk away from God because the indwelling Holy Spirit of God is praying for you. He prays for you and his prayers are answered because he prays according to the will of God. Oh, this gives me great hope because I trust many of my prayers are headed in the wrong way. You ever feel that way? I don't know what I'm praying for and perhaps I'm praying the exact opposite of what God's trying to do in my life, but that's no hindrance to God working out his will in my life. I love the story of the great St. Augustine who was a pagan for well into his adult life and his mother Monica was a genuine believer who loved Christ and longed for her son to bend his knee to Jesus and she prayed and prayed and prayed for Augustine. Augustine one day came and said, Mom, I'm moving to Italy and she prayed fervently, God, don't let him go to Italy because if you remove him from my side, he will just plunge deeper into sin. You know where Augustine went? He went to Italy and there he found Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit knew her heart's desire. She didn't know how to get him there. The Holy Spirit understood it. And her prayers, to the contrary of what God's will for Augustine was, was no hindrance for the Holy Spirit was praying according to the will of God for him and his mother. Do you therefore not love the Holy Spirit who prays perfectly for you? I rejoice in these great truths. I imagine there are some here this morning who do not know Christ. And they may just think that what I'm talking about is simply outrageous, even ridiculous. Now, we understand this. These are not things that we often contemplate. And certainly those outside of our faith uh, will probably never contemplate them. But I wonder if there's one here, maybe two, who longs for this help. I wonder if there's one or two here that perhaps God even this moment is awakening a great desire to know they're gone. Perhaps there was one here this morning who's frustrated with life. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you're unsure. You don't know what life is about. I tell you this morning, friends, based on the authority of God's word, that there is a God who made you, and you are in rebellion to him. But the glorious news is that he will give you full amnesty, full forgiveness, full pardon, 
if you will turn from your rebellious ways and bend your knee to the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. Give him your love and follow him and he will save you and he will send his spirit to indwell you and to even pray for you. And for us who know Christ, brothers and sisters, maybe there are some here who are suffering, maybe there's sickness, maybe unfilled dreams, maybe confusion, maybe even persecution. And you do not know what to pray for. I tell you, take heart. You are not alone. The indwelling Spirit of God prays for you. And perhaps there are some who in the coming weeks or months will encounter a burden so great and so urgent. Perhaps a child grows ill or a loved one is in danger. And the weight is so heavy that all you can do is mutter but a few words to God. I tell you, take heart. You are not alone. The Spirit of God prays for you. Perhaps there are some who are hurt this morning. Perhaps they were hurt even in the foyer outside. Someone walked up to them and said something that crushed them. Perhaps they've been stabbed in their back by a co-worker. Perhaps they've been betrayed by a loved one. And you have no idea how to pray. You don't know how to pray for yourself. You don't know how to pray for those who hurt you. You don't know how to pray for the outcome. I tell you, by the authority of God's word, take heart this morning. You are not alone. The Spirit of God prays for you. And for some of us, indeed many of us, there will come a day in which we shall lie perhaps in a hospital bed with an IV in our arm and nurses milling around and pain beyond our imagination. And we won't have the strength to pray. We may not even have the mental capability to put two thoughts together. I tell you, take heart that day. You are not alone. The Spirit of God prays for you. Let's give him thanks. I trust there is no measure of your love for us, Father. The more I follow Christ, the more we search your word, the more we stand in awe of your great grace and love for us. We thank you. We deserve none of it. We deserve the exact opposite of grace. We deserve your wrath. We deserve justice. We do not deserve love and mercy. Yet you are a God full of love, eager to save, eager to pour out grace upon us, and we rejoice in that this morning. We thank you especially that you have not let us alone. I trust you could have saved us. I trust Christ could have died on that cross for us and rose from that grave and ascended to heaven. And I trust you could have told us, okay, now follow him in your own strength. Rely on your own prayers and those of your loved ones. And yet you chose to do something so much greater. You chose never to leave us alone. You condescended yourself to send your spirit to reside within us. These truths are so amazing. Help them not to be 
familiar to us. Help us to stand in awe that God himself lives within us this very day and is indeed perhaps praying for us right now, is speaking to you right now. Help us to be aware of these truths. I trust your word has recorded them for us so that we may have hope and courage, strength and joy, that we indeed may fall more in love with you and your plan and more in love with the Spirit of God who loves us more than we could even fathom, more than we, I trust, shall learn even in all eternity. We rejoice in his work. Help us to therefore leave this room. And walk from this place with joy in our hearts, with steel in our spine, with a spring in our step, knowing that we are never alone, that the Spirit comes with us and does His work for us. I do pray for my friend here this morning that for some reason refuses to bow his knee to Lord Jesus, refuses to trust in Him, perhaps... He or she says, I will one day, but not today. I have too much I want to do. And I'm afraid that you will, you will tell this person that they cannot do what they long to do. I pray that you would shake them from their slumber. That you would show them that what you want for them is not for their bad, but for their eternal good, for their eternal joy and the eternal delight. That you do not want to take from them, but you want to give to them purpose and meaning and joy. So help them not to believe the lie, but to trust in Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for your work for us as well, that it continues even this day. Help us to walk in light of it, we pray in your name. Amen.